Joining us in this hour is somebody who's been on the program a number of times, my favorite guy, favorite guest, really like him. Uh, also, we, we agree on almost everything. That certainly helps. Uh, maybe we should have got married years ago. I don't know. Uh, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO, Mr. Leo Gerard. Leo is in the house. Leo, belated Happy New Year. So glad to have you with us. Thank you. Glad to be on. Uh, let's talk about, you and I didn't get to chat about the President's State of the Union address. And, you know, something that I loved that the President talked about was his plan for the middle class, his plan to help the working class, the majority of Americans. And then you have Jody Ernst get up and talk about the, the, the you know, bread bags over her shoes and almost, you know, glad that everybody on the bus was poor. But at the same time, I didn't hear anything from the right on, well, this is how we can stop kids from wearing those on their shoes. This is how we can create jobs, increase minimum wage. Uh, this is how we can stop the income inequality in our country and the disparity in wages. Here are some programs that, you know, we have proposed that won't help the rich, but it'll help the middle class. But again, you know, they have pretty stories, but the president's the only one that really had a plan to give hardworking families and the Democrats uh, the support they need to make ends meet. Because I love when he said, you know, if you think that you can feed your, your entire family in less than $15,000 a year, you try it. Yeah. Well, look, at I, uh, I thought, first of all, that the State of the Union speech was uh, probably one of the president's better speeches. I agree. And I thought he laid out a really, really powerful economic agenda that would start moving us in the right direction. Uh, we, we clearly don't agree on trade, and that's another issue. But uh, the, the general direction of his speech, I thought he laid out a number of key issues that if we were to uh, have them adopted, would start us moving in the right direction. And if you listen to what uh, the various uh, responders, I think they had half a dozen of them, everything from uh, that crazy guy Cruz to uh, Joni Ernst, the the, the clipper, <laughs> and uh, she never really said a thing. I mean, all she did was platitudes, and, uh, you know, she, she talked about the Keystone Pipeline as if it was going to create thousands of jobs. Maybe she doesn't know that right now the pipe for the Keystone Pipeline, almost half of it came from India. And so uh, I think the president's on the right track, and I think uh, what we're going to see is as he tries to move these issues forward, you're going to see Republicans uh, do everything they can to, to stop. I mean, it was ironic that the first week that the Republicans were in any sort of uh, power, they passed a bill limiting the earnings of Social, Social Security disability patients, disability recipients, I should say. Uh, now, if there's any group in, in our society that uh, we shouldn't be punishing even further, it's the Social Security disabled that are getting disability benefits. But that was their first hit, and that was meant to say to all of us, we're coming after your Social Security. We're starting with the weakest, and we're going to wake our way up. You know, the president, and you, you wrote a great piece entitled Voodoo Trickle Down Be Damned, Leo. Uh, you bring up uh, Reaganomics, and, and that really came up in the president's State of the Union address when he asked, will we accept an economy where only a few of us do spectacularly well? Leo, majority of people, so say the polls, regardless of their ideology, regardless of who they vote for and how they vote, realize that we have a disparity in wages, realize we have an income uh, inequality problem, and that is a problem, and it will become a larger problem. So we, when, looking back in history, 
that whole trickle down you know economy Reaganomics it didn't work oh it started to work in the beginning and then it trickled down and and nothing good trickled down in addition to that we have seen how the Bush tax credits, you know, helped the rich to put more money in their pocket. They did not invest in this country and jobs and bringing jobs back and creating positions here, uh, building factories here. They continue to ship their jobs overseas. What will it take for the American people to learn, A, and B, isn't it political suicide not to address this issue for Republicans? Look, I, uh, I, would, I would like to say you're right. Uh, my, my heart and my guts tell me you're right. My brain, though, says that until we get the, the money out of politics, look at when you've got nutbags like Stephen King or whatever his name is uh, holding a Freedom Summit in Iowa, and simultaneously the Koch brothers are, op- are holding a come-and-get-your-money uh, seminar somewhere in a fancy resort, uh, and, and that the Republicans, God bless them, uh, they've known how to redistrict and... Uh, They've gotten elected at the state level, and they've redistricted so that they're almost untouchable. It's going to take a lot of work, and we shouldn't fool ourselves. It's not going to be easy. But here, here's one of the things that uh, should start to shake people up, and it's not a steelworker study. It's a study by a reputable group, Oxfam, and that Oxfam has uh, said if we recognize the extreme disparity in wealth now, and if nothing changes in the next 10 years, the top 1% will have more wealth than the bottom 99%. And, and you know, how do and this you... is 99% of humans on Earth. This isn't just Americans. This is a worldwide problem. It's a worldwide thing, that's right. And, and so that if, and if, you take, if you take where are we on the income disparity uh, quotient, people would be shocked that we've got more income disparity than Mexico, more income disparity than Brazil, more income disparity than uh, Costa Rica, just to use our hemisphere. Uh, we haven't yet gone to Asia and Africa. Uh, so, and and that that's the result of trickle-down economics. That's the result of offshoring. That's the result of destroying our industrial base. All of those things, uh, unions, uh, progressives, we projected that that's what would happen with trickle-down economics, and we were called fear-mongers and told we didn't know what they were talking about, only to, uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not a happy time sometimes when you can say, I told you so. And, yeah, and, espe- and especially in, in that regard. The president has a, a twist to uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, py- pyramid scheme, I think a lot of people would call it, um, yeah. and, and that is middle class economics. Um, you know, t- talk about what this is. I mean, obviously there's intent here, but I, I mean, what does the president address uh, specifically so people understand what middle class economics is and why it works and can work if well, we can do you it? You know, let's, let's, let's go first and foremost. He, he recognizes that... Uh, We've got to have jobs, and he recognizes that we've got to rebuild America's infrastructure. Uh, just this last week, there was another bridge collapse, uh, and so we've seen uh, right now with the, the storm they're projecting in the east, people are panicked that the infrastructure again won't hold. Right. So the president first talks about jobs. He talks about infrastructure. Then he talks about how to use the tax system. He talks about uh, um, college debt. He talks about if kids can keep their grades up, we should look at the first two years of college being the same as we look at at high school. It's just an extension of high school, and people choose their their path. 
He uh, talks about the earned income tax credit, all tax things that would help put more money in middle class and family uh, pockets that would help rejuvenate the middle class. So that, and, and, he, and he basically also goes and talks about, I mean, this is pretty shocking, that uh, we'll go back to the uh, capital gains tax that Ronald Reagan had, <laughs> you know? Yep. That, uh, you know, here, here these right-wingers are in love with Ronald Reagan, but while they're in love with Ronald Reagan, they uh, ignore him on uh, all the other issues. Yep. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back and let Leo get his call. And we're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back with you. Back with him right after this. Mr. Leo Gerard is president of the United Steelworkers, vice president of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. We are back with President Leo Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. Leo, thank you for holding and welcome back. We were talking about the State of the Union, the President's proposals, middle class economics. Um, There is no killer tax increase on the wealthy, yet Republicans want everyone in the country to believe that, right? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's continuous gross misrepresentation of the facts. And, uh, you know, that uh, sometimes it's, uh, to be blunt, sometimes it's disheartening to think that they could be so intellectually dishonest, so callous, so non-caring of everyday working people. Uh, what, what the president is talking about is, is not draconian. He's talking to going back to think about this, the tax regime that was in place with President Clinton, or the tax regime that Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, their idol, their god, the, the, the person they fall down and worship, they're going back to his tax regime for capital gains tax. And we had plenty of millionaires and billionaires in Ronald Reagan's day. And, you know, and you, you, you get to hear some of the things that have been said in, in jest. My wife used to say there's truth in every jest. When George Bush went to some millionaires thing and said, you know, you're my base, uh, he wasn't kidding. No, and George, George Bush did more to do wealth transfer from ordinary working folks to the ultra-rich than anyone. Most definitely. Let's talk about a poll. CNN has 72% saying that the president's policies would move the country in the right direction. MSNBC, 68% said the president focused on the right things. Only 32% said they believed Republicans care about the right things. Where were these people in the midterm elections? Well, one of the problems is that, uh, and I guess I'd say this from my experience in the field, the, the, the Republican and the right-wing agenda, not just Republicans, but everyone on the right and the extreme right, have an agenda of trying to minimize the turnout of voters. Thirty years ago, one of the leaders of the Republican revolution said, we don't need everybody to vote. The less people vote, the better we do. And so if you come back and look at what they've done, they systematically make it harder to vote and they do everything to frustrate government so that they can say government doesn't work, you can ignore it, don't participate, don't waste your time, your vote doesn't count. They say that directly and indirectly. So we see in midterm after midterm in particular, we see a, ter- a lower and lower turnout in elections, and that's when they get control of the state houses, that's when they get control of Congress, 
in, in the House of Representatives, and that's when they continue to drive their agenda of transferring wealth from the rest of the rest of us to the rich, and that's at the point where people don't turn out to vote because they think it doesn't matter. And you'll hear them say, well, they're both the same. Well, they're not both the same. If you don't believe they're not both the same, listen to what the president wants to do. And listen to what Boehner and uh, Mitch McConnell want to do. Ultimately different. Oxfam, let's talk um, uh, about that. Um, you know, when we talk about a disparity in wages, it is unbelievable when you look at these numbers how extreme the disparity is. And, and what we are shown, not just by Oxfam, but, you know, by economists, that if nothing changes over the next two years, I, Leo, I think I mentioned this to you, the world's like billionaires and trillionaires. There were a number of them that met months ago over in Europe, and they realize that over the next two years, and, and going forward, this is going to become a big problem. I mean, they've got tons of money, but if you continue to have this gap. So if nothing changes over the next two years, the top 1%, like you said, will have more wealth than that held by the entire remaining 99% of humans on Earth. So, you know, somebody sent me, and uh, we posted it on Twitter, um, a graph of how year after year the rich really do get richer and the disparity in income and that gap uh, between uh, rich and poor it widens. It, it's unbelievable. The income growth during economic expansion, when when you look at it from the 40s until today, the top 10% just keep getting richer and richer, the bottom 90% poorer and poorer. Not even middle class. We've talked about this. This could uh, not only erode but annihilate the middle class going forward. The um, We're starting to see some of that in Europe, in the elections in Greece. Just uh, in the last few days, the uh, uh, electorate in Greece finally elected a party by almost uh, almost major- majority basis with all the parties they have. They elected a party that was going to resist the austerity program. They see what austerity has done in Europe, where, again, the uh, rich have gotten richer and the rest of us have gotten poorer. Uh, we see what's going on in the United States and Canada and Mexico in this, this hemisphere. And what's going to happen is going to tear society apart. You, you can't have a society where you want people to be able to participate. We've, we've got a so-called participatory democracy where, A, you discourage them from voting, and, B, you make it such that in order to survive, you got a mother and father each with two jobs. And then you got kids that won't be able to afford to go to college. I, I can meet... Uh, the, the, some of our members, I can meet lawyers, I can meet people in the community here in Pittsburgh whose kids aren't going to be lawyers, they aren't going to be doctors, they aren't going to be physicists because they can't afford it. The, the parents can't afford it, so the kids uh, are not not going for those kind of jobs. And, and, you know, what we need is more mechanical engineers and structural engineers and less financial engineers. We need action. We need urgent action to narrow the gap between rich and poor. What are some ways that can be done? Because obviously some rich are willing to do it. But, you know, in, in this country, you can't just have everybody who's rich in the private sector doing this on their own. They, they need help uh, from uh, the political body in Washington in the form of legislation. Well, the one thing that we need is we need to regrow the labor movement. And the president mentioned that in his speech. You know, the labor movement is a, is, a, is a function of democracy. And I say to people, show me an advanced democracy anywhere on the planet that doesn't have a labor movement. There isn't one. When you see regimes of the totalitarian left or right, the first thing that happens is workers and students get together and demand a labor movement. 
we have to have a labor movement. We've got to have a tax structure that uh, is fair. We've got to have an industrial base that where people can go and earn a living. Uh, we've got to recognize that people can't survive on right now. That, that Remember, the minimum wage isn't $10.10 yet even. We've got it passed in some cities and some states for a higher minimum wage, but the federal minimum wage hasn't moved. And so, as the president said, you can't live on fifteen or $17,000 a year, you know, a family with two kids. So we need to change the tax structure. Absolutely. We need to have the child care tax credit. We need to have uh, American, uh, American Opportunity Tax Credit. Hold that thought, Leo. We're going to talk more about taxes, tax credits, and tax proposals by the president with our guest, President Leo Gerard, president of the USW, vice president of the AFL-CIO. After this, follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. Back in a moment. We're back. So is he, President Leo Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Sorry to interrupt you there, uh, Leo. We were talking about um, taxes, and uh, these are tailored cuts, tailored hikes that the president proposed specifically uh, with tax. Uh, So let's talk about these tax hikes that are being proposed by the president. Um, A higher capital gains tax for the wealthy. Let's start with that, because a lot of people think, oh, yeah, taxing the rich again, just more and more taxes. But perhaps people don't fully understand what a capital gains tax for the wealthy means, well, right? Uh, let, me, yeah, let me put it this way, that uh, those of us who make our living by talking on radio shows, uh, by making airplane parts, by paving roads, by doing uh, nursing, by teaching, um, we pay our taxes and uh, we get our, our income from working with our hands and our brains and our backs and our legs and all of that jazz. Well, a capital gains tax is when you make money by letting your money that you have make money for you. You haven't, you haven't added necessarily anything of value. You, you've, your, your stock went up in value, so you've got this capital gain. Well, their capital gains tax rate is currently 23.8%. My tax rate... It's closer to 30%, and I don't mind paying it because I need it to do my roads and to make sure our kids have schools and all that jazz. Well, what the president is proposing is to go to 28% that you would make on capital gains in your dividends. That's the capital gains tax rate that Ronald Reagan brought in. So the economy didn't collapse. The rich people didn't have to go live in out on the street, they had to maybe uh, not buy another fancy car. I don't know. They, you know, their third or fourth home, or in, or in uh, Mitt Romney's case, he didn't have to build an elevator for his eleven cars. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, so th- this this is uh, this is absolute disingenuousness and, and outright dishonesty to pretend that this is a huge tax hike for the the already wealthy who can afford it. Uh, and it's 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 certainly much more equitable than some kind of silly sales tax where if you're a working stiff and you got to go pay a sales tax on uh, some clothing or some shoes or some piece of furniture that you need for your house, uh, that's a much greater percentage of your income than a rich guy is going to pay. Most definitely. Have some emails, have some tweets. Uh, David says, President Gerard, the economy boomed in the 90s. Isn't that because of Reaganomics? And you want an infrastructure. How many permanent jobs will get created to fix a bridge? Well, the, the thing is that, uh, um, first of all, it wasn't because of uh, 
well, Reaganomics, it was because of the, if you go back and remember, the budget that uh, President uh, Clinton brought in, Al Gore was the 50th vote. He had to break the tie in the Senate. And at that point in time, the Republicans were actually half, you know, surprisingly acting half civil. They didn't try to filibuster it like Mitch McConnell did on every jobs bill President Obama brought in. Uh, and uh, what was the other part of his comment? Uh, that, uh, you know, how many jobs does building oh, a bridge well, create? What, 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 what you do when you Permanent you jobs. the infrastructure is you make the economy work better. Let me give you Pittsburgh as an example. There's literally dozens of bridges in Pittsburgh and Allegheny County, of which many, many of them are condemned to heavy traffic. There was a study done in Allegheny County that because of the bridges that were impassable by um, large trucks, it added roughly one hour on average to the large truck's ability to transport goods in Allegheny County. So if you take that times the hundreds of thousands of trucks that pass over the county in a given year, that's a huge amount of wasted productivity. Uh, you can go through, there's billions of gallons of water that are lost because our water infrastructure is inadequate. We lose uh, hundreds of thousands of kilowatt hours because our grid is ineffective. I can take my cell phone and I can call over to uh, Great Britain and you wouldn't know whether the person was next door. Right. Yeah, we put energy on the grid, and if it goes more than 50 miles, we lose anywhere from 7 to 15% of the energy. That's wasted energy. That's wasted productivity. So this, this individual that asked that is just completely wrong. Oh, most definitely. No question. And, and by the way, how would you like to be able to get from uh, New York to, uh, to Washington on a high-speed train that could get you in an hour instead of having to go through the malarkey that we have to go through now uh, trying to get anywhere? Frank tweets, I think a fair wage is what's lacking in this country. Some earn more than they're worth. Others get minimum wage. It's very sad. Interesting enough, I've seen this guy post very conservative comments, and here's just another example of how the overwhelming majority of Americans agree, agree that we need minimum wage to be increased and, and that there and this obviously plays into and speaks to our income inequality and our disparity in wages. Yeah, if, if we, we could do a couple of things to do a comparison. We could take the... Average income of a millionaire in 1985 and see where that millionaire is today. And we could take the minimum wage of 1985 and say if we had just had the rate of inflation applied to the minimum wage so that people would still uh, be working for, quote, a minimum wage, it would be much, much higher than it is now. And if my memory was correct, it was something closer to 13 or $14 an hour. Uh, and so that still puts you at a minimum wage, but it, clo- it puts you closer to be able to sustain your family. And by the way, in the period from after uh, FDR, uh, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Nixon, uh, Carter, everyone understood that the minimum wage was had to be a sustainable wage where you could work hard, but you could sustain your family. It's only when Ronald Reagan got there that things started to change. And now we've got a culture that says, if you raise the minimum wage, you'll cost us jobs. Well, that's craziness. Um, the fact I, of the matter is the stats go the other way. You raise the minimum yeah. wage, and people spend that money, and it multiplies, and you end up creating jobs. 
Uh, and uh, many other tweets on this, um, you know, wealth redistribution. Uh, you know, this one guy says Niner. It's not about wealth redistribution. It's about getting a fair cut. Um, and he says, but a fair cut, he doesn't think necessarily means $15 an hour because he says people that now make 15 then would or should make 22 based on that. What do you say? Well, look, I think that it, it, every, everything is relative. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that you, you, we, we live in a, what's called a mixed economy where we've got uh, capitalism and we've got public sector and they mix together. And so the fact of the matter is that you can be working for some enterprise like the oil industry that is until recently rolling in dough and can afford to pay a higher wage. You can be working in a service sector where they're not rolling in dough and, and you pay what I would then call a decent wage, a livable wage. We should quit talking about the minimum wage and we should start talking about the livable wage. And so if you've got working for a business, and if it can't pay a living wage, it ought not to be in business, period. Because, you know, the, when, you buy, when you buy the the excuse that if you pay more money, you'll cost jobs, then that can take you backwards to say we should all work for free and we'd all have lots of jobs. And it, it's uh, so I think the issue of fairness is the right one. But, again, there's so many, Leslie, there's so many hurdles to this. If we had single-payer health care in America, that's that's why it never made the debate because they didn't want it to be factually out there. But if you had single-payer health care, we'd say $450 billion, $450 billion with a B, dollars a year that we could put into the economy. And maybe we could put that into giving kids a better uh, chance at college without having to pay exorbitant college fees. And slowly, year by year by year over the last 20 years, more and more of the burden has been shifted to going to colleges and now like having a private sector bank loan. Uh, Brian says, uh, I like flat tax, lower personal and corporate tax rates, eliminate deductions. All citizens pay a tax. We all pay something. Uh, but if you don't make enough, how can you, how can you pay? What do you think about oh. a flat tax, Leo? Well, first of all, the flat tax has been proven to be a sham. Yeah. And uh, you'll never get rid of all those deductions. And uh, a flat tax is uh, is not the way to go. What, what, what's gone and what's uh, uh, been able to prove is a, is a progressive tax, a tax where the more you make, the more you pay, the less you make, the less you pay. And that, that's what creates a fairer society. And, and you know, they made a, they made a big uh, kerfuffle out of what uh, the president said, but uh, Elizabeth Warren said it properly. There's no corporation that got to where it is on their own. They either benefited from our roads and bridges. They benefited from our infrastructure. They benefited from our education system. They benefit from our police and firemen. They benefit from our rules that they claim they don't like, but rules that keep you from being uh, cheated out of your, your patents. And there's all kinds of rules that allow corporations to get to be uh, productive. And then the wealth that's created from that, we should be able to sit down like we do with everything else and negotiate what's a fair rate of compensation for that enterprise. And, and I always put it out on the table and say, find me a CEO who hasn't negotiated his terms of employment with his board of directors or her board of directors. Every CEO in North America, every CEO in the world has negotiated the terms of their employment with someone from their board of directors. 
if they have the right to do that, why don't their workers have the right to sit down and negotiate and be represented in the negotiation with their employer? And if we were doing that, we then could negotiate our fair share of the wealth we're creating. And if it's in the public sector, our fair share for being compensated for the, for the services we provide. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of rich people in New York today counting on those snowplow operators, eh? Yep, absolutely. No question about it. No question about it. All right, let's take some calls, and we go to Los Angeles with Steve. Steve's on line three. Steve, good afternoon. Question or comment for President Gerard? Well, I, uh, I agree with him that uh, we should have progressive taxation, mainly because the people that make the most money use the most infrastructure, and most people that work for wages don't have access to wealth accumulation through stock ownership. So that's just a, an opening comment. But you, you tweeted out about your minimum wage, and the minimum wage is one way to possibly address some of that inequality as a first step. I, uh, I, I absolutely think that... Uh... We, we, and and I, some, some folks will criticize me for what I'm about to say, but I really believe that in our society, if you can't pay in your business a living wage, then you ought not to be in business because less than a living wage is exploitation. And, and you hear about the fast food industry and they're saying we can't afford 15 bucks. Well, if you go to Sweden, a uh, hamburger from McDonald's will cost you about 25 cents more than a hamburger in Pittsburgh. But those workers are making 19 and $21 an hour. I would gladly, I don't eat it anyway, excuse me, but, but I, I, I would gladly pay more if the people that were giving me the, the opportunity to have that were paying the decent wages. Otherwise, I just don't go. Steve? I, I look at these issues in a larger global context than your guests in the sense that wages globally are used to uh, distribute uh, limited resources. This is why when I tweeted you, we need to get into this discussion of sustainability that gets into the even a bigger issue of population versus resources. And I agree that uh, it would be wonderful to have fair wages. But, again, wages are just used to distribute resources. And the people that have the higher incomes that are generating that from stock ownership, that's kind of a separate issue. And that's why this discussion really has to get even more expanded. I, I don't disagree that we need a we need a more expanded discussion, and as part of a progressive tax system, uh, more of that money back into helping people, and get a fairer slice of the economy and fairer slice of the agenda. But it, it's the distribution of resources. We have some places where uh, we have to share those resources, and uh, you know I give you an example right now. Different economic models. In, uh, in China, China is making now close to 700 million tons of steel a year, and they only can consume about 500 million tons, even when they're building cities that nobody lives in. Where are those extra 200 million tons going? They're getting dumped into primarily the United States, Canada, and Canada, and they're, and they're being dumped in at subsidized prices. So we can't have a share of the distribution of the resources in, in America by a standard that is not being applied from China, while China destroys our steel industry. We had 44 million tons of steel imported, finished uh, steel into uh, United States last year. We had three, 33 million tons 
a finished steel product. That would be like steel wheels, seat belts, stuff like that that's made of steel. That's close to 70 million tons of stuff dumped into the American market when we only produce 120 million tons. Absolutely. So when you say we have to participate in a broader global market, we've got to start to talk about an economic agenda where we're able to hold our own against countries that cheat. We're going to take a break. Back with our guest, President Leo Girard. And we are back. President Leo Girard is our guest, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO, talking about a lot of things and what the President uh, called for in the State of the Union address. And um, you, you, another thing is uh, calling for raising taxes on investment profits. You had talked about investment. That's an increase from 23.8% to 28% on capital gains and dividends. It would make it the same, like you said, uh, once again, during uh, the Reagan years. And um, let's um, – do you think that this talk of the wealth gap is forcing the GOP to refocus? I mean, is this something that they can ignore going forward – when you see what states are doing with regard to increasing minimum wage, and when you see the polls that transcend party lines uh, with regard to inequality, a disparity in wages, obviously, raising the minimum wage, you know, and, and things where I think Americans are on board because, you know, most of us are in that 99%. Well, I come back to my, my point of earlier in the show. I think part of the arrogance of the GOP is that they've gerrymandered so many districts uh, by having control of states during the redistricting period, that they've got a level of arrogance that uh, we have to challenge. And, and, and I don't think that's any one thing, Leslie. I think we've got to get uh, the people who are strategically being disenfranchised by right-wing and GOP uh, state houses and, uh, and uh, that. We have to challenge that. We've got to challenge income inequality. We've got to challenge the fact that uh, trade as it currently exists has been costing us millions of jobs. We've got to fight for modernizing our infrastructure. We've got to fight to make sure that college kids who now have more accumulated debt than their parents' credit card debt, uh, and, and we're profiting from that at the government level. We're actually charging them a higher interest rate. I think Elizabeth Warren was right that... Uh, Kids' student loans for going to college if they graduate should be reduced to the exact same percentage that the banks charge the Federal Reserve to lend them money, that the Federal Reserve charges the banks, I mean. So all of those things help create the wealth gap, and if we're going to tackle the wealth gap, we have to do those things, plus give workers the right to go back and participate in collective bargaining. And I think if we don't do that, the Republicans might still stay in office, but they're going to have an angrier and angrier country, and we see some of the stuff that's happening around the world. I'm, I'm not uh, going to give anybody absolution about what happened in France, but you have a lot of people in France saying that people have no hope, and if people have no hope, they result to, to crazy things. Well, and, that's uh, what I've always said about Iran. I mean, we wouldn't have some of the problems that we have with Iran if they had jobs. They have more than 50% unemployment rate. The majority of the people there are very young. They're uh, they're under 45, 50 years old. The majority are male. Sorry, you got a bunch of guys with testosterone. They're not having premarital sex or drinking. They've got no jobs. They're they're you know pissed yeah. off. And somebody says, "Hey, come be a hero. Here's a gun." Yeah, and 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 we, again, we didn't. Uh, we, being the Bush administration at that time, didn't think through what they were doing, 
in Iraq and Iran. Remember, Iraq and Iran fought a war against each other for eight years, and and they killed each other's young men. Yep. So you, you got you got a whole new generation of people who have been disenfranchised. We went in and, and destroyed whatever was left of their country. And again, I'm not being an apologist, but before it was called Iraq, it was Persia. And if you go to Persia, allegedly, that's where part of the world's development started. And and we destroyed Persian artifacts that were thousands of years old. Yeah, we have to, I hear you, we have to take responsibility for our actions. To, uh, Leo, thank you for joining us. The, the hour flew. I look forward to talking to you again soon, my dear friend. Uh, president Leo Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger.